listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. So Luke chapter 7, Luke 7, we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. Everyone in this room has been impacted by the untimely, unexpected passing of a loved one, a family, a dear friend, and that passing has greatly affected your life. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. It is just, it is a guarantee. I remember just very strongly, even to this day, the impact that when I was a 13-year-old boy and my 16-year-old cousin was killed in a car accident along with two others on their way to a church youth event. That death made a profound impact on my life and on hundreds, if not thousands, of people even since that time. Death has that way of affecting our lives, changing us, and causing us to think very hard about the reality of life and death and all that's, that's in there and even beyond death and what is the next step. As a pastor, I've been at the home, at the hospital, at the funeral home, at the graveside of grieving people. And it is never easy. It is a part of your heart goes out to, to them in, in a very profound and a very real way. Let's face it, death is hard. Even the subject today, it's not a happy one per se, but it is. It is actually a good story, but we've got to deal with the difficult. We've got to deal with, with, with the bad news before we get to the good news. We hear daily in the news the, the death, the passing of people, sometimes untimely deaths, sometimes planned deaths. I read this week of a woman in California who recently called a party of 30 of her, not that one yet, uh, who called a, a party together of her family and, and close friends and had her rebirth party, as she called it, and they had a weekend party, celebration, get together at the end of it. The friends all went home, and she went with her doctor, her massage therapist, her chiropractor, and her, her sister and she medicated herself on the side of a hill and four, late years, four days later, or four hours later, she passed away. And taking the power of life and death into her own hands, God, God's word has serious warning about that, folks, but we just see that death impacts every one of us. And, and just even um, in social media recently, uh, on July 31st, you can put this picture up now, there's a family that was preparing to go to Japan to be missionaries and to give their lives to the Lord in missionary service. We're traveling from Minneapolis to Colorado. We're rear-ended by a semi-truck, and all of them went into eternity within a moment's notice. And that, that news, some of you have no doubt seen that and kind of heard some of the response from that, um, how God is even using something like that for his glory. And yet that death is hard for family, for friends, for those who are getting ready to support them to go and, and be a part of the work of God in Japan. Death is never easy. But uh, one of the deaths that is probably even the most difficult, um, if you were to rate them in some ways, would be the death of a child. And some of you here have no doubt lost a child, uh, maybe through miscarriage or later on in, in their lives. Um, the death, death of a spouse runs a close second to that. 
um, from, from what I read and understand. Thankfully, I haven't had to experience either one of those in, in my lifetime. Um, I read this week from a family, from a couple who a number of years ago um, had lost their third son. They lost their first son at, at 18 days. Um, he passed away. They had another son who died of leukemia at five years, and then another son who died at 18 years. He was 18 years old in a sledding accident. And he wrote this. He said, when a child dies, a part of a parent is also buried along with that child. It is grief upon grief that they experience. And in Luke chapter 7, here in verse 11, as we're going to read here right away, we come to a story filled with incredible emotion where mother is experiencing grief upon grief, grief because she is, is burying her son. Her son has passed away, her only son, and now what is she left to do? But in this passage, we see incredible truths from God's Word. And the first thing that we see, I encourage you to write this down. Um, you will need this. You will use this at some point in your life. Uh, it may not be these points per se, but these realities will be a factor and will come to play at some point for you, for me, for each one of us. And perhaps you're there right now and you need to hear these truths. And the first thing you need to know is Jesus enters our sorrow and our confusion. Jesus enters it. Jesus enters into the sorrow and the confusion of our lives. Let's read in, in uh, Luke 7, verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples, and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So here what we see is the convergence of two crowds. You have this crowd, you have the disciples following Jesus along with this crowd of people, these onlookers, these people who are traveling with him, who are there for the road show, who are there to maybe, they're still skeptical, others are followers, they're believing and they're part of this, this group that's following Jesus to this little town called Nain. And, and then you also have this convergence of a funeral uh, party, a procession. This is actually the town today, a modern picture of the town called Nain that is, uh, is a biblical place. Um, years ago, it consisted of about 200 people. They believe now it's around 1,500 people that live. It is uh, out of the way kind of a town. It's 20 miles from Capernaum, where it kind of was set up as Jesus' headquarters. Six miles from Nazareth, the place that Jesus was born or, or uh, grew up. It was kind of in the middle of nowhere, this small little insignificant town. It was a blue-collar town. It was where a lot of poor people lived. And yet it was this small insignificant town that Jesus was, was heading to on that day. Jesus was going with his disciples with this large crowd, and he's about to enter the town. And what ends up happening? He meets another group that's exiting the town. As Jesus is entering, this group is exiting. And we see that the one crowd is filled with excitement, anticipation, awe just wondering what is he going to do next and this other crowd is coming along and it is loud it is a group of people that are there and and that are in sorrow and in great mourning and there in the middle of it all we have Jesus and a dead man so just think about this you have Jesus and a dead man on one side you have this crowd that's woohoo and this other crowd on the other side that is mourning that is wailing that is grieving the loss of this young man in this room today, we have a similar kind of situation, I am sure. We have those of you that life is good. Life is, is going along the way that you had hoped, the way you planned, the way that you progress, and the future is looking 
really good and there's a lot of anticipation and, and a lot of things going on in a very positive way and, and you're just kind of waiting to say, okay, God, what next do you have for me? And then we also have those in this room that are kind of not, not there. They are on the other side. They're, they're filled, you're filled with discouragement or with sorrow or, or, or just things aren't going well. And, and perhaps there's even despair, discouragement, depression. The fact that you're even here this morning is just, you know what, a tribute to just, just, just discipline or getting through through it or, or whatever it might, might be, whatever it is that you're facing right now. And yet, even here today, Jesus is in the room. Jesus is here and he enters into the chaos of our life. He enters into the celebration. He's there to celebrate with us, but he's also there to mourn with us. And we can worship him today. We've been doing that. We can praise him today. We can run to him. We can cling to him today. And I pray that and, and trust that wherever you're at today, that we will see Jesus in this way. We will run to him. We will see that he has a word for us from his word day in and day out, that his word can bring power, can bring life, and can sustain us through the good and through the bad. So in this crowd, we have a mother who's weeping. You see that. She's, she, um, even this passage tells us, Jesus ends up telling her, don't weep. So we know she's weeping. She is facing pain upon pain because she's already lost her husband. We read here in this passage, she's a widow. And now her son, her only her only son has died. And this just isn't the sting of death she's experiencing, but also the repercussions that are coming in the future for her. It's not looking good. She has no husband. This was her only son. In those days, they didn't have retirement plans. They didn't have old age security. They didn't have uh, Freedom 55 or Freedom 65 or Freedom 75 or anything like that. There was no um, social services, no Medicare. Your children were your retirement plan. That's why people had large families because it was to help take care of the parents when they're older. And, and I mean, and, and that was even true up till years ago, till a number of decades ago, right? I think, you know what, the big switch why it changed, why families are much smaller now? This is my own personal opinion and not based on much study or research. You know what I think, though, it's based on? At least according to me, the invention of the remote control. Before you had, you know, remote controls, it was, you know, you needed to have kids. Hey, go change the channel for me. Hey, go change. And so you needed to have a lot around in case one's busy with, with the wife or, you know, out playing or whatever. You have one kid, or, hey, go change the channel. As soon as they invent the remote control, you no longer need to have, um, you know, as many kids. No, I know that's not true and I'm just poking a little fun. But, but back then, your children were your retirement plan. They were there to take care of you. You take care of them when they're young. They take care of you when you're older. And so, so we see this. And, and in our culture today, um, it is very possible and it happens oftentimes that when someone loses their spouse, they end up getting remarried. In the culture here and for this woman here, it was very highly unlikely that she would ever be married again. And so she had no retirement plan. Her son, her only son, was, had died. Her husband was gone. And so we see her past was filled with pain and loss. She lost her husband. Her present was filled with pain and loss. She lost her son. And her future was very uncertain. But you need to know this for her and for you and I today, wherever you're at, that Jesus enters the confusion, the grief, and the loss that we experience. He did that then. He'll do it now. Jesus works to seek out the brokenhearted. He comes to the broken and the wrecked people. There were more significant towns he could have visited on this day. I mean, who would go to Nain? I mean, even the name sounds lame. 
doesn't it? I mean, but there is Jesus. He knows that on this day, there is a woman who needed a touch from him. There were more significant, um, you know, smarter people that he maybe needed to talk with. There could have been other miracles he could perform. But Jesus pursued broken people. And he does that today. That is what our Jesus does. Look at verse 13. And it says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and he touched the bier, which is a casket without... Uh, is just basically a stretcher. It is a, it's an uncovered casket. And the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, folks, I'd love for you to write this down. Um, as you've already, I trust, written down, Jesus enters our sorrow and our confusion. Write down this. Jesus sees, Jesus hears, Jesus feels, Jesus speaks. Write it down. Just similar to that, there's going to be a little bit more to you, for you to fill in. But it, it just trust that, that this reality, this truth, would just be impactful in your lives today. Jesus enters our sorrow and our confusion, and he also sees and hears and feels and speaks. And we see that here from, from this situation, and it is true in our lives here today. And whether life is good for you or whether it's unraveled or is in the process of, of unraveling, you need to know and not forget this. Jesus sees, Jesus hears, he feels, and he speaks. And first of all, Jesus speaks. Or he sees every detail of our lives. He sees every detail. He knows everything that is going on. He knows that this is the only son for this widow. He's fully aware of this situation. Jesus sees every detail of your life. He knows everything that's going on. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Our Heavenly Father is aware when one falls to the ground. If he cares when a sparrow falls... I mean, and sparrows can be pretty irritating. When we were at my, uh, at my parents' place in Regina, they had a bird's nest right on their little deck, and there was a sparrow that had a nest in there and had these little babies that all day long, the, the mother just kept going back and forth, back and forth, and whenever she'd come back, you'd just see these three little mouths open up at the hole of this, the, this thing. Truth be known, I actually took some duct tape and put it over top there just for a little experiment to see what would happen, but then I felt guilty after about five minutes and thought, these little poor little babies are going to fall asleep. Irritating. But Jesus even cares for the irritating sparrow. He knows when they fall. It goes on to say there in that passage that even the hairs on our head are numbered. He even cares how much hair you have. He, he, he has a, a running count. And for some of you, it's the declining amount. And, and I don't know if he counts, like, you know, as you get older, the hair that, you know, is less on your head and more in other areas, you know, your ears, your nose. Uh, that starts growing the, these strange hairs kind of thing. Jesus is aware of the sparrows. He's aware of the hair. How much more is he aware and concerned and he sees the details of what's going on in your life? He sees. And that should give us some great encouragement. He sees your bank account. He sees where it's at right now. He sees your fear. He, he sees your health situation. He sees the relationship turmoil that you're in. He sees it all. But he also, not only does he see, but he hears the cry of our heart. He hears every cry. He hears the cry of our heart. In the Greek, there are two different words that we have the word weeping and wept, which is basically kind of the same word in English, but in Greek, in the original language in which the Bible is written, 
there are two different words, and, and, and one definition of the word weep or wept is, is that to, to weep or, or to cry silently. Man, this is like when you're at the movie theater and you're watching this, this movie with, with your wife or with your girlfriend, and, and, uh, you know, and, and it's coming down to the emotional part in the movie, and you're finding yourself getting a little, little choked up but to try to lighten the moment or whatever, or just to kind of you know, pass it off as not being a big deal. You kind of look at your spouse or you look at, at whoever's sitting next to you, and and, and you may see a tear coming down their face. And, 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 and they're, they're responding, they're weeping. That, that's one definition. Or, or, or maybe it's that, that weeping, that, that silent cry at night that no one is aware of. The thing that sends you to sleep at night, that cry on your heart. That's, that's one definition of the word weep or wept. But another definition, and the one that is used here, is, is, is not the silent cry. It is the, the sobbing, almost convulsing, uncontrollable uh, kind of cry. Have you ever cried like that? Have you ever been around someone who has cried like that? I've been around that situation a number of times, and it is completely, totally gut-wrenching to see that sort of thing take place. And this is what is going on here. This woman is weeping. And yet Jesus sees and Jesus hears. He knows the silent cry of our hearts. And he he sees and he hears the wailing, the uncontrollably convulsing kind of cry that we may have and have had in our lives. And this passage points to us a really important reality. In fact, this passage, there's a lot of theological and a lot of doctrinal kind of basis for death, for dying, for, for even heaven, for eternity, wrapped up here in this passage. And here is something that is so important, a little sideline from, from what we're looking at. But you need to know this, you need to understand this, death is real. It's going to happen. The death rate is still hovering at 100%. It hasn't changed. Even with great medical advances that have been made, there's still a powerlessness that we face in the face of death. It's going to come to every one of us unless the Lord returns. We will all face it sooner or later. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it, but it's a reality. And sometimes we kind of think, I can beat this. I can beat this. And yeah, you know what? You can prolong it. Through, you know, at certain health, uh, through, through pursuing a healthy lifestyle and exercise and different things. Although, I did hear the other day of a 37-year-old guy who was in good shape who dropped dead of a heart attack. Was doing everything right. And death came upon him. As our bodies age, more and more the reality starts to set in that we are not going to live forever. That death will one day find us. When you're 15 or 16 or 18 or 19, you kind of think, I'm invincible, you know, and, but then slowly there's more aches and pains that come, you know, certain health issues start to come, uh, you know, you start to feel that pain when you do a certain exercise that you haven't done for a little while, and, and the next day you're like, oh, I'm in, in pain. Usually the first day of going skiing, um, I'm in, in a lot of pain afterwards, and my family hears it, because when I, I, I kind of exaggerate a little bit, Guys can sometimes do that. You know, I go to sit down and like, ah, you know, and, and then when I get up, it's ah, you know, just so that they're aware that I'm in pain. And that happens as you get older. You, you know what? The joints kind of start to seize up. My mom is going in for surgery this next week, five-hour surgery. If you think of her, pray for her. She is going to, they're going to fuse five to seven of her vertebrae, and uh, she's going to be very stiff 
for the rest of her life here on earth, but they have to do it because she has so much pain that's going on because of a body from having polio years ago, as well as just life of raising six kids, only one of them being very angelic. You know, I mean, I mean, just having to deal with all of that. And so, you know what, our bodies break down. I mean, eventually as you get older, there's more and more of this that happens. The older you get, sometimes what ends up happening is you end up dropping something on the floor, but before you go down to pick it up, you kind of have a little self-check and you kind of wonder, is there something else I can be doing when I'm down here? You know, just making good usage of, of the energy it's going to take. The subject of death, subject of dying, makes us uncomfortable. And that's why even now I'm trying to lighten a bit because it does make us a little edgy. And maybe even for some of you, you're like, I just wish I was not here hearing this. But you have to realize, you have to understand, death is real. It will meet up to every one of us. I read about a, a hospital in the United States a number of years ago that decided to ban for a while, it didn't work, the word death. They did not want to use the word death in the vocabulary for the staff, for their reports or anything. Instead, they called it a negative patient outcome. You know, just again, a way to do it. And, and something else, you even notice that even now we don't like to call a, a uh, funeral service a funeral service or a memorial service even. We kind of soften a little bit with memorial. But now we call it a celebration of life. We don't want to focus in on the negative. We just, you know what, just, I, I mean, just it's difficult. And, and changing the name changes nothing. It, it does, though, however, expose our weakness and, and our discomfort and the fear that we can have of death. But day after day, this is a reality. Tragically, people will die unexpectedly, sometimes after prolonged illness. None of us have a guarantee that we will make it to 6 p.m. tonight. None of us. We don't have that guarantee. And that's why we need to prepare for death today. We need to be ready. Because we do not know how much longer we will have here on this earth. For many, for many there's a, a greater fear associated with death. Um, or... or just a fear, and, and the Bible even talks about this in Hebrews chapter 2. It talks about those who live in a bondage to the fear of death. A bondage. We become so obsessed with death and dying, it can totally affect our living. I totally know that. In about a few months before Clarice was born, I went through a period and a struggle in my life of absolute fear of death, of dying. Of, of medical issues, and, and, and it totally started taking over my life. And I suffered in silence, and I struggled through that, and, and, and I couldn't make it on my own. You see, our bodies aren't designed to be able to, to even handle the idea of death and dying. When we were created, when you go back to the garden, when you, Adam and Eve were created by God, death wasn't part of it. Our body has no way to be able to go about combating death or dying. We're not created that way. The only source that we have to be able to assist or to help us in that is, is through others. We can't even properly mourn on our own. We need to mourn, have others around us helping, encouraging, walking with us in and through that. And it was when I opened up and I shared with others and had people stand with me and, and get in the Word of God that the struggle started to lessen and finally gain victory over that. And that is the answer to any of the struggles that we are facing. We need others around us. We need the Word of God, the Spirit of God in our lives. If you're going to try to make it through the struggles and the issues that you're facing right now and think, I've got this, I can do this, first of all, you're unbiblical, and you can't do it. We need one another. 
This is why we gather together. This is what the body of Christ is all about, to, to be there for others in their time of need and to know that there will be others there for us in our time of need. We may try to ignore the reality about death and dying or try to soften the reality of it, but we must be prepared for it. Yet this is the amazing thing about this passage. It's the amazing thing about the Word of God that Jesus, the one who is greater than death, comes onto the scene here for this widow. And Jesus, the one that is greater than anything that you are facing today or will ever face, is greater than. And he is reliable, he can be trusted, and he is God of all gods. And so we see that Jesus sees, he hears, and next, Jesus feels. He feels with deep compassion. In verse 13, it says, he had compassion for her. Jesus entered into her pain, into her sorrow, into her grief. Luke uses the strongest word here in this word compassion, again in the Greek, where we get the root word for our word spleen. He is, this is a compassion that Jesus is experiencing and, and that is, is, is feeling here that is from the gut. It's from the innards. It's from the inside. This is what Jesus is feeling. He totally knows the outcome. He knows this outcome is going to be amazing, and yet he speaks into that. He hears, and now he feels. He is compassionate. His heart goes out to this woman. And it was prophesied in Isaiah that the Messiah would be a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And indeed he was. He entered into the sorrow of what these people were facing. Later on in John 11 when he raised his dear friend Lazarus from the dead. Again, he went there. He delayed his going there to be able to go and raise him from the dead. He was a little busy and he was also given it some time and he gets there and, and, and Lazarus had been dead for a, a number of days and, and he was even warned, don't even roll that, that stone away for he, I like the way King James puts it, he stinketh. Yeah, he would have been stinketh in quite badly at, by that point and, and Jesus, he, he goes and he raises Lazarus from the dead but what, what happens to Jesus before that? As he's standing there, as he sees the grief, as he sees Mary and Martha, he sees the crowd of people there that are, are broken up about this and it was his dear friend Lazarus that died. What is he doing? He's not just weeping just lightly just to you know, wipe a tear. It says he trembled. His body actually trembled and, and, and he entered the pain he knew again what the outcome was and the outcome was good folks if you're in Christ the outcome is good in the end the outcome is amazing and he doesn't say oh just buck up young man or, or, or middle aged person or senior just buck up and get through it he enters into the pain into the compassion he's compassionate he, he enters into what we go through that is our God. William Barclay, he wrote, he says, In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. Isn't that beautiful? In every pain that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. Today, you may have a deep hurt, and you maybe can't even voice it, you haven't even voiced it to anyone, or, or you just don't even want to because it's just, it, it, it's heavy on your heart. Layer upon layer of stuff has happened in your life, you need to know Jesus sees, he hears, and he feels. He's feeling along with you. His immense, loving heart goes right out to you. And look what he does. The next thing that he does, Jesus speaks. He speaks words that bring life. In verse, uh, here we see a beautiful display of the power of Christ 
when it comes to life meeting death or death meeting life. Verse 13, the last part, he said, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. Now, what Jesus did here was just, I mean, this was crazy what he just did here. Jesus touches the bier, this open coffin. They didn't, didn't do coffins like we do today because the wood was too expensive, and they would wrap the person in some gray, grave clothes and, and in some cloths and, and put them on this, this beer, as they called it, like a stretcher, and they would take them to some sort of a cave or, or some sort of a grave. Um, and so it was an open coffin, and Jesus goes and he touches it. And the moment that he touched it, you had the rule keepers that were following and, and were watching all of this. We're like, oh, what did he just do? He just touched an open coffin. He just touched that and now he's unclean. Oh, we got to write him up for this. This is a big deal. He's breaking the Old Testament law. You're not supposed to touch that kind of thing. You become ceremonially unclean. And no doubt when Jesus did this, the mourners stopped wailing. There was professional mourners that were there to enter into the grief, um, clanging cymbals and, and banging, um, just kind of noise kind of thing, and people wailing and crying. But all of it would have come to an end when Jesus stopped when he went and he touched the coffin. And for a few split moments there, don't know how long it was, he stood there and I'm sure the place became totally quiet. And he touches the coffin and there's gasp from the crowd, wondering what is he going to do now? He hadn't raised anyone from the dead yet. Here we see life and death are face to face. And we see what Christ does with death. Write down this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 54, and 55, because there it says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus has swallowed death up in victory. And the Gospels record three resurrections, or three um, people being raised from the dead. And when it came to other miracles that Jesus performed, there's oftentimes some sort of an action involved, whether it was doing something with some dirt and, and, or whether it was touching a person or having them to go do something or whatever. But, but here in these three resurrections, these three raisings from the dead that he performed, Jesus speaks. And we see the power in the words of Jesus. Jesus speaks to the young man. Jesus speaks and he commands him to rise. Arise, he said. And the young man did. Now here we get some, some, a peek into what happens when we die. Here we see some, some, some very informative and helpful teaching because today there are many crazy, crazy myths and stories and offbeat teachings about what happens when we die. Notice that Jesus speaks to the, dead, to the dead man, to his lifeless, cold corpse. He's speaking to them, to him. We can't speak to a dead person. You can't. The veil closed. But Jesus can. Life is able to speak to the dead. You see, this man did not cease to live. Just his body died. But his spirit continued to live on. This man didn't lose his personal identity on the other side. He was not reincarnated, not absorbed into some light force or some energy that sometimes you'll hear people talk about. He wasn't transformed into an angel now fluttering around looking over the whole situation. No. 
We go to God's word for this. There's a lot of other kind of teachings out there. But you need to know that beyond death, we continue to exist. We're identifiable, and we will answer to the voice of Jesus. This young man was fully alive even though his body was dead. You see, death is only the death of the body. The spirit lives on. And when we die, we go one of two places, heaven or hell. And the place of your eternal destination comes down to a decision that you make here on this earth. You can't make it afterwards, and no one can make it for you. Jesus, God in the flesh, speaks word of life, and the dead son is raised to life. And it says in verse 16, Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. They saw, they heard about the miracles prior to this, but now they saw Jesus and the power and the victory he had over death and the grave. This was no ordinary man. And you know what? Today, Jesus' words speak life and help to us. Just in the way that he said, arise to this young man. His word to us is we take the living word of God in our lives and it says, arise, arise from your sin. Arise from the struggles. Arise from the discouragement and defeat. And and God's word speaks life into the situations that we're facing. And that is why we are people of the word. We desire to be in the word, not just to know it, but to live it and to be transformed by it. His word will sustain us. His word will speak to us. His word will speak through others to us. We will use his word at times to speak to others in a powerful way. This is the power of the word of God. And he speaks today words that bring life. There is hope for whatever the situation is that we're facing. This story with this young man and his mother is a a picture of the future as well. You see, we know from the word of God, for every believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We read that in 2 Corinthians 5. This world is not our home. This is not as good as it gets. We keep trying to build up kingdoms and we keep thinking that this world is it. This is where it's all at. It's not. This is just a fading reality of of eternal glory that is awaiting the child of God. And it is a a solid reminder of, of the damnation that awaits those that are not children of God. God's word speaks today. Heaven is our real home. And just, now this is cool. This is really cool. Just as Jesus said to this young man, arise And he did. One day, Jesus will say that to you. If you are in Christ, you will hear these words from him. Arise. How do I know this? 1 Thessalonians 4. Write this down. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. With the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are caught, who are, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so it will be always, so we will always be with the Lord. The voice that raised this young man from the dead one day will give the command, arise, and it will be heard all around the world. Where this man, this young boy's spirit was reunited with his earthly body and he was alive, 
In the same way, we are going to see that from the depths of the sea, from the mountain caves to the prairie dirt, wherever the molecules are of God's people who are physically dead, will be reunited with their spirits, and we will see this on grand display. We will hear the voice of God and be raised. What a day that will be. Amazing. We may wonder at times, well, why doesn't Jesus heal more people today? Why doesn't he raise people from the dead today? We're going to tackle that a little bit more next week, Lord willing. How do we deal with the disappointments and the doubts that come from following God or praying to God and it doesn't seem like he's coming through? Jesus does raise people today. He does to new life. God's word tells us that we were once spiritually dead, but when we receive Christ, we become alive. We were dead in our transgressions and sin, and Christ makes us alive. You do hear about movies and stories and books about people who experience death, and whether it was for 90 minutes or whether it was maybe even for a little longer, whatever it might be. Can I just caution you on that? Be careful with great discernment to not just believe it because you've read it somewhere or because they made a movie out of it. You need to use biblical discernment. There's a lot of deception about these kind of stories. You need to be asking yourself, are these stories credible? Are they consistent with the word of God, with what we see in God's word, in in the descriptions that we have in the word of God about the afterlife? So I encourage you to use caution and discernment before you start going or seeing or buying the videos or recommending these kind of things because some of these can lead people in, in the long way, uh, long way around. It can lead people astray. We have to be very careful discerning people and celebrate the, the miracles that God does perform. But folks, Jesus enters the brokenness and the confusion of our lives. He sears, He sees, he heals, he feels, and he speaks to us. And you have to understand this. Here is is part of my reason, part of my understanding from God's word, why we don't see people being raised from the dead. I one time was at a funeral that was delayed for a a good number of days in hopes that this person who passed away would would be raised from the dead. And even there was a time in the funeral service devoted for people to pray for, in a sense, one last chance for this person to be raised from the dead. It was very strange, I must admit. Jesus can do it. God's power can do this. But you need to understand this, that someone being raised from the dead is not the highest expression of God's love towards us. Because we have salvation in Christ, because of Christ's death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, he made a way for something far better, for us to be able to live for eternity. He does something more loving, more powerful in dying on the cross for us, clothing us with a new body that is made for eternity. That is what he has in store for us. Everyone that Jesus raised from the dead, they died eventually. But when we are made alive in Christ, we live for eternity. When Jesus doesn't return Christian loved ones, then we've prayed for him to heal or to him to even raise the dead. He doesn't lack power or compassion. 
I believe he's too loving to take them away from what he's already provided for them in heaven. And today, if you've never made Jesus your Savior, your Lord, you need to do that today. Life is fragile. As I said, no one has a guarantee that you'll make it to 6 p.m. tonight. Christ has done everything for us, for us to get to heaven. But we have to do our part. Not only does he pursue us, not only does he come after us, he died for us. He loves us. He bore all of our sins that we deserve punishment for upon himself. But we have to do our part. And that is saying yes to Jesus and beginning a personal relationship with him. Have you come to the place in your life where you have repented of your sins? Where you said you're sorry to him for the the wrong, for the sins that you've committed? Have you repented of your sins? And repentance means you just don't keep living the way that you want to live. Repentance means um, a change of mind. It's following Christ's way, Christ's direction. It's following the word of God, not your word or someone else's word. It's following the word of God in your life. And by faith, then, we trust in the work that Jesus has done and we invite him into our lives. If you've never done that today, I would encourage you to do that. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Others here in the church, other leaders, those, um, Shayon would love to do it, Keith, um, Fred and Leona, others who you may know would love to be able to talk with you and pray with you. And then we commit to live our lives for his glory. Jesus is the only answer for the world's needs that we have around us. He is the answer for whatever it is that we face here on this earth. He is the one who has entered the confusion and the chaos and the sorrow. And he speaks words of life as he walks with us along the way. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the power that we have in your word, for your compassion and for your redeeming love. It is sufficient for everyone in this room here today no matter where we are at in our lives, no matter what we have done, no matter how many times we we feel or we believe or we know that we have failed you and we have failed others, that in you there is redemption, in you there is forgiveness, and in you there's life, and you speak those words to us. And I pray that today, the words that we hear today, we could use these truths, these realities to share them with others. Jesus, I pray for those who are hurting today, who are grieving, who who are struggling in, in different areas. Maybe it's rejection, hurt, betrayal, fear of, of the future, whatever it might be. Lord, I pray that they would take the, these realities and, and, and experience you in a powerful and a mighty way. May they draw themselves to others uh, who love you, who can stand with them and pray for them and be real and, and be able to uh, be reminded of truths from the word of God through the body of Christ. But ultimately, may your word have strong significance in our lives. May we desire to be in your word day in and day out. Even when it's hard, we would be disciplined when it comes to that. And, and we would experience the delight then of walking with you and, and whatever it is that life brings our way that we're not going to just power our way through it, but we're going to get through it because you are there with us. It's not our strength, our power. It's by your spirit we're going to do it. And Lord, I pray for those who are encouraged today, who are, who are enjoying this stage of life where they're at, and, and, and would you just continue to pour out your goodness to them, but may 
in worship there be a response of thanksgiving for all that you've done. May, may humility be at the center of our hearts and, and gratitude for, for your blessings and all that you have done and just a commitment to desire to serve you and to live for you any way possible because of your goodness, because of a response to the blessing that you have. And if people don't know you today as their personal Lord and Savior, may they not leave this room today without making sure that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that heaven is something that we can be guaranteed of, not because of our goodness, but because of the goodness of our God who's made a way for us. And, and so even now, Lord, we worship you. We exalt you as Lord over all, that you are the God of the grave. You are the God of eternity. You are the God of our lives even now, and we want to worship you and make this as a declaration of our heart, as this church, as families, as individuals, of people who desire to see your name exalted in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.